We talk luxury travel, points and miles, and Disney with Robin from Lux Recess on today's Milenomic Squared podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm Robert Dwyer, and this is the Milenomics Podcast, no annual fee edition on the Milenomics Podcast Network. With me today is Robin Hudson from Lux Recess. Robin, welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you doing today? Doing well. The travel bug is really spreading wide among people, so things are starting to get pretty active again. Well, that's exactly why I wanted to talk to you. You know, it's so hard to predict the future in general. And I think anybody who has tried to predict when we're going to come out of this pandemic and get back to travel is, uh, you know, <laughs> where were they predicting that the pandemic would start? But like, I agree. We're starting to see some thawing of the ice. You know, if you look out, you can book a year from now, you really start to see, I think, some optimism. I don't think it's irrational. Are you seeing a lot of uh, interest sp- uh, pick up in, in your space? Absolutely. Yeah, both in terms of the readers that are reading the site, as well as the the clients who I'm booking to travel. There's a lot of activity going on. Awesome. Well, let's talk about uh, your site, Lux Recess. I became a reader of it. Gosh, I don't even know how I came to know you and uh, came to know the site. It was probably through searches from Disney. Let's start there on you know the origin story of Lux Recess and what your you know your journey was in starting that site and what it has become over the years. Sure, sure. I um, I always say my my Lux Recess really started probably when I was eight years old, uh-huh. because I have been obsessed with hotels. I'm one of those people. I've been obsessed with hotels since I was a child, and I proudly collected the brand directories of every luxury brand I could find. You know, you open up the desk drawer in the hotel room, and then there was the directory. Mm-hmm. So I would collect these as a kid, and I would read them, and I would memorize them. And I just became uh, determined to visit every single property that I wanted to in my lifetime. And then when I was a teenager, I had, you know, all of these magazine uh, collages I would make and scrapbooks of places that I would go. So I, I was really interested not only in travel, but I became a very, you know, a very versed consumer of travel media at a young mm-hmm. age as well. And so I then did become a magazine publisher outside of the travel space. And then um, I left print magazines and digital publishing at one point. And when I was ready to get back in, I was determined to do an all-digital publication. And I really decided as a magazine publisher by training, I was like, what do I have both an expertise in and a genuine passion about? And ultimately, it really was hotels. And I never thought that I would launch my own travel magazine. But that's, in fact, what I finally did because I realized on a birthday, it was actually at a birthday party I had at my back deck with friends. And I said, tonight, I think I'm going to launch my my magazine because I'm not getting any younger. And I opened up my WordPress account on my birthday and I did set out to create an actual magazine. And over the years, I have been grouped in with bloggers because I have such a small team of freelancers and writers and myself, and I do the bulk of the work. But I always explain to people that as a magazine, which is what my training has been in for decades, I know of a readership that I'm serving Mm -hmm. as opposed to letting the content come from me. 
And one of the first groups of people I knew that needed serving, including you, was I knew that for parents who wanted to go to Disney but didn't want to go all in the Disney way, but wanted to sort of have a better experience and know how to navigate all of the opportunities in Orlando. For someone who travels well, where do they go and what do they do? So I did focus on that because I needed to create the content that I was actually looking for myself. Yeah, so a magazine, a digital magazine, I remember, you know, maybe five, 10 years ago, you know, it's like, you don't want to be a blog. That's kind of, a, you know, kind of you know, seat of the pants. It's kind of not very, uh, uh, there's not a lot of credentials, not a lot of meat there or something. And so I, I did hear this in the background. I, I had a blog myself and I was thinking, oh, I, I should become a digital magazine. And I was like, well, what is the difference between a blog and a digital magazine? And I, I think it's it's very clear if I look at Lux Recess, what a big difference is. And it's that you're not constantly uh, posting news articles or updates to things. You have big substantial pieces. And if there's an update to that thing, you know, if, whether it's the Four Seasons Orlando or some uh, resort that people are constantly asking about, you don't have a stream of, oh, there's this deal there. There's this new update here. There's, it's, it's, you have substantial pieces and you update things when there's a substantial new thing. It's not a, a constant rabid feed of news. Is, is that the difference between, a, would you say, a blog and a digital magazine? That's an interesting point. I would say that what you touch on definitely sort of touches on the monetization strategy of different websites a little bit. And I think that for for me, I see it more as an editorial decision. So as you know, you've actually written a few articles for Lux Recess. I have gone and I have found people who have a genuine knowledge or expertise in the luxury hotel space to contribute. They have to demonstrate that authority because I always wanted Lux Recess to differentiate between a TripAdvisor review. It's one thing for someone to not know when you are giving a Ritz-Carlton a five-star review, what other Ritz-Carltons has that person traveled to? Mm-hmm. You don't know what that person's contextual relationship is. So I post very honest articles and I require that my contributors do too, but you can understand based on who's writing it, what their context is for saying, this really is one of the best four seasons I've ever been to or not. And so I think that that's very important because my goal is to create a really authentic sense of trust with readers because they're about to spend thousands of dollars on a family vacation at one of these properties and they should know exactly what they get. And the other huge thing is obviously I don't accept any payment for content. So no one's um, compared to many bloggers who might be working with a destination or working with a property to create content. That is not my model. I'm there to review it, to be the eyes and ears of my readers so that they know whether or not that that property is for them. I like it. That's a, a a big important difference. And when I read something there from you, I know that you've gone and stayed at every luxury hotel in Orlando or in that area. I think there's a bit of a completionist uh, tendency in both of us. I think we've talked about that when we met over dinner. Like, I have to visit every hotel in Orlando to be able to say whether this one is the best one or not. And maybe next year things have changed, so I need to go back and revisit them again. You want you want to be very thorough and careful. I mean, it's not it's not that you're not just doing it to collect all the pieces on the on the game. You want to be thorough in your reviews, right? That's exactly right. And actually, I've met people 
people at hotels who are just like you and me who they'll say, I have to go and visit every hotel on a destination to understand how they're different. And then I know, oh, we're soul brothers and sisters because <laughs> I agree. And I think that the, the the search to understand what the unique experience is at each property and who's going to enjoy that most is the love I have of creating the content. Mm-hmm. Also, what is Lux Recess and what isn't it? You know, where do you draw the line? Where where are things now versus where they were five years ago? I think that now I have a lot of reviews of very popular destinations that people tend to go to. And I think that I don't strive to invest my own business resources or my time going to the new, trendy, more esoteric destination. I'm very content not being cool and writing about, you know, at the time, everyone was like, oh, you have to go to Croatia or you have to go to this. There are clearly trendy destinations within the travel media circle. My goal is I want to write about the places people are actually going where it's the most useful. So I do a lot of very traditional destinations like you know, all along the Atlantic coast, uh, down to Florida. I cover a lot of Florida because even if you're a world traveler who goes to Asia or goes to Africa or goes to other places, there's probably still a winter weekend in Florida in the books. And I also focus on, you know, Mexico and the Caribbean and popular destinations in Europe because I want to be there to help people where they're actually going. And, and help people with family travel. Maybe we have, haven't adequately stated that. It's a Lux Recess, uh, a site for uh, parents who really who like really nice hotels, right? I mean, your, your focus is always on family travel as opposed to just luxury travel. That's the, the recess part of it. But you do see as, as people, you know, maybe age out a little bit, they they come to you or your Facebook group I, uh, as and they're looking for questions. Oh, it's just a, it's just a, uh, me and my husband or whatever mm-hmm. this weekend. Uh, but I still trust your advice. So give me some good advice. Do, do you do you see things maybe um, creeping a little bit into to being not just family travel at some point, and or is there is family travel something that happens your entire life? You know, maybe with your grandkids or something like that in the future. Looking out a little bit. Well, I would say that the readers who've reached out that I actually have booked their travel, so I I know them intimately now in a way that I wouldn't have before. They don't all have children, and a funny quote one of these men wrote is, "I knew you were." a good source for me because you actually even talked about the bedspreads in the hotel rooms. Because I (laughs) said, this incredible hotel has really outdated bedspreads that you have to overlook. And so there's a level of detail that that he appreciated. So I, I do think that family travel is what I talk about, even though I don't really get in the, I don't really get in the weeds about it all being about babies or toddlers or anything like that. I think travel is ultimately about connection and relationships. So that could just be with two people, two adults, friends, or a family or a giant multi-generational trip. But the reason why we're spending our time and money is we're trying to increase our personal connections in those relationships. All right. So what does the Lux in Lux Recess mean to you? What really defines that? And I think one example of this is, you know, when we talk about uh, staying at the Grand Floridian at Disney, is that the height of luxury or is the Four Seasons there something else? Or is there even levels... Uh, beyond that, like Amon and things like that. What does Lux mean to you? I don't think I knew that answer because you know, you know, we've met and you know that I'm not, uh, I'm a pretty gra- pretty grounded luxury traveler. But I'll tell you what I, when I learned what luxury isn't, 
is that I was with a friend of mine in Jamaica participating in a tour of one of their natural waterfalls. And it was the most comically horrendous experience I've ever had on a trip where we were herded like cattle clinging to the person, the stranger in front of us so that we didn't slip and fall on these mossy rocks. And we're, we're being sprayed on like jokey travel guides are throwing water at us to, to like as a joke, like they're a seven-year-old bratty brother. And, and I, my friend and I are looking at each other how did we get here? And and I started scolding them like a high school principal, like, please don't throw water at my face. And so, <laughs> and so I realized because I don't typically do group tour activities, I learned that I, when you are herded like cattle through an experience, that is not luxury. And I would say that I keep my bar low where I imagine luxury as the ability to be your own person in that experience and the ability mm. to customize your needs. And because I, I did request no water throwing and he didn't <laughs> listen to me, that need was denied. <laughs> it's a pretty low bar there. <laughs> Check the but, box for no water throwing. <laughs> I know, right? Don't splash me, please. But if you take that and you apply that, for example, for the Disney lovers who have tried the Four Seasons Orlando or the Grand Floridian, Disney doesn't really Disney has one luxury product, which is their private tours that are truly custom. But the Disney hotel experience wasn't built to be custom in the way that a Four Seasons could be. Mm -hmm. And so that is, I think, what the difference really is. Well, so as we uh, emerge from COVID here, how does that play out with some of this? Uh, you know, things aren't back to normal by any means. They're not going to be back to normal for some time. What I've just been thinking here in terms of, uh, you know, say private jet or, you know, even a first class suite, uh, JetBlue Mint, that seems pretty attractive, more attractive than before, where it was just about the experience and the meal. You know, it's like space being uh, luxurious in itself and privacy and distance. And a lot of the places that you review are not just hotels, but they're uh, vacation rentals. I mean, some of your articles on vacation rentals have been very inspirational. I look at this, I'm like, oh, this is my uh, iconic image of what I think a, a, a cabin in Maine should look like or what have you. So are you seeing a, a, a tendency of your readership to see space as a luxury or, or what, what are people doing coming out of COVID? What's changed in what they're looking to book? It's definitely changed a lot because I would say up until the last four months, I was still booking travel for readers and they were, I was curating a list of places where you had your own private entrance in a condo or a villa or a home on a resort property, for example. Because people want their own space. Mm -hmm. And that's just, it's, we want to keep our own bubble. And it's practical as well if you're traveling with family and you want to create a bubble and you have older members, et cetera. Now we're seeing a shift though, where travelers are being diversified into vaccination classes of people. And I can barely keep up with the demand right now because the number of physicians who are vaccinated, who are ready to go anywhere now. And the number of people who actually have gotten COVID, so they have natural immunity for a temporary amount of time, these people are now actually able to travel as they would have. But if you think about us as a traveling population and a, a working population in the hospitality industry, we're all going to be getting to that place of safety at different times based on our 
our jobs and our profiles, et cetera. So there's not going to be a light switch where everything goes back to normal. It's a staggered walk back to normal. That's interesting, right? I, my, on a couple levels there, my dermatologist was the first person to use the term revenge travel that I heard. And uh-huh. he, was, he went to Bali uh, right before this all shut down. And I would imagine he's vaccinated now and ready to go. But that doesn't mean the other country is there ready to receive you, even if you've had the vaccine necessarily. So are, are you still seeing quite a bit of domestic travel or maybe the Caribbean and Mexico? Because I, I don't think we can get back to Japan anytime soon, right? I don't think that people are traveling internationally right now as after on January 12th, the CDC's new policy about coming back in. Um, I've talked about it with a lot of my friends who are in a position to travel and clients. And the question is, are you willing to assume the risk that one of a family member tests positive and you have to quarantine outside of the country on your own dime? for 14 days. And so you may or may not fit a profile where that risk works for you. So I do think that there's going to be another temporary boom in domestic before eventually you know, more countries and more policies ease up throughout the course of the year. Well, that's what I was thinking last summer, that it was going to be the year of the road trip, the year of domestic travel, but that even turned out to be a little rough. I Hopefully, that this this next coming summer is going to be more like that. I've booked some things I'm pretty excited about, and if any of them start to materialize, uh, I'm on board for it because this is a great country we live in, and there's a lot of really cool things to see that maybe we haven't prioritized necessarily. So let's uh, shift gears, though. I'll talk a little bit about points of miles. Uh, Milenomics is more about points of miles, and one of the reasons I wanted to have you on today is to, you know... We're so hell-bent on getting the most points, uh, most value out of our points and miles. And I'll see people, myself included, who, who you were talking about hotel brochures. You know, anytime I stay at a Park Hyatt, I go and see where all the locations are in the world. And I think of how much of my travel over the past two or three years has been dominated by the Park Hyatt. And the reason that is, is because uh, Chase has a great program. You can transfer them to Hyatt. There's just a, a, an ability to earn those, ability to redeem those in a, in a pretty luxurious way. You know, I'd kind of put them on par with Four Seasons. So, I, I wanted to have you on to help us get out of that mindset, right? You, you're probably hearing me like, Park High, what is so special about Park High? Why are you people so crazy? There's tons of hotels out there, and a lot of them aren't even in a hotel chain. So uh, l- let's talk about your personal experience with points and miles a little bit as someone outside the game. Um, uh, does this come up in conversations with the clients that you're booking for? And what is your own uh, credit card portfolio like? And are you as uh, consumed with points and miles as the rest of us? Well, yes and no. So before I became a... Uh, Before I had a family and got married, I was a publisher of a magazine in Washington, living in Boston with the bulk of my clients in New York. So I lived on the shuttle. I was amassing tremendous miles. Um, And then I was very savvy about my work-related hotel stays. So I was, you know, classically amassing points from four points by Sheraton that I was cashing in at the St. Regis in Rome. So Mm, I definitely played the game a lot from just my actual travels. When it comes to the true like art of hacking and what I see people do with credit card offers and everything, I'm just very jealous. I think that it sounds amazing. And I think that most people simply have that bar of, well, what do I really need to get started? And would it really hurt my credit report? And you know, all of those questions, no one knows how to start. Well, what's, what's in your wallet? Like how many credit cards do you have that you're juggling right now? 
I only have, we have four travel-related cards. I've got my Delta Platinum. I've got a Bonvoy Business, a Bonvoy Regular that I've had. I mean, I've had those for decades. Mm-hmm. And then um, I have the Chafe Sapphire reserved as well. Nice. That's a pretty good, reasonable lineup. You don't need to have, we were just talking with somebody on the show last week who was talking about launching a wine-related credit card. And he was saying that, you know, if you have a few travel credit cards, you don't need a fifth travel credit card. You're kind of all set with those. It sounds like you've got your your dominant air carrier here, Delta covered. You have, you know, Marriott's footprint is huge. And then you have the Sapphire Reserve and you have really good coverage there. I'm curious though, when you talk to clients who are looking to, uh, you, you do have a, are, are you a full service travel agency at this point? I am. I'm a virtuoso agent. Oh, very so nice. I'm not actually allowed to book points. Um, you know, I can't, I can't book points, but what I do with some of my clients is they'll say, I have a certain number of points, you know, for the Ritz Carlton here, I'm going to have to pay out of pocket here. Yeah. And then, and then I call the property and I link up the reservations and hopefully, then that the the fancy upgrade I give them is carried over into the room that they're getting non-revenue, you know, from their points. So that's happened. So you're, you're fluent and aware of, of what goes on with points and miles. And I, I imagine a lot of your clients do come with some constraints about uh, having a balance of points and miles and then say, yeah, you know, I'd, it really would be nice if we could, you know, center the trip around this bucket of, bucket of points I have for the, whether it's the airfare or the hotel or what, what, what have you, but you can wrap that into a broader trip that is more luxurious, I guess. Yeah, it would be my advice that if you have uh, a lot of points or miles and you're thinking of how to spend them, you're if and you know that you're going to be paying a portion in cash and a portion in points, you really, in my experience, you really want to put your points with your airfare. If you happen to be platinum level with Bonvoy so that you're going to get a top of the line suite at a St. Regis or you can get a, a great club level room with the Ritz-Carlton that has additional amenities, then the points are going to do you well. But if you fall short of that, the, the luxury experiences that you can obtain by paying cash for at least a portion of the, of the reservation with breakfast and upgrades through a travel advisor may be a better bargain. I got you. So what percentage of the customers that you deal with are, are, are bringing in a bucket of points versus just wanting to throw cash at it? Most of, my, most of my clients actually prefer to use all of their miles for air. Do you know any content creators that are fluent in both uh, luxury travel and points and miles? I've always thought of having a you know full full service travel agency that was really focused, maybe more coming from the points and miles side of it, but then you know uh, bringing in the whole package there. Do you know anybody that's really intently going after that? I don't. I do. If I'm not mistaken, you probably could speak more to this. There are points people that you pay a flat fee where they will try and maximize premium airline tickets with your points, those types of things. Yeah, there definitely are award travel booking services. I just don't know, you know, uh, I, I, I might fall into that category myself where I'm fantastic at getting us across the world to, uh, you know, Thailand or Bangkok or Europe or wherever. And then we get there and then I'm like, okay, now what are we going to do? And so my wife does step in and help with that part of it a lot. She does a great job on the, the destination planning. Is What, what do you see uh, people doing for that? You know, Because I think sometimes of an all-inclusive or a cruise, you, you get a lot of that uh, of the activities programmed in. Well, what, well, yeah, what would your words of advice be for people in terms of destination planning in, in a luxurious manner? Oh, absolutely. So what I would recommend is if you have the ability to fly your family over to Thailand, for example, and you're going to um, a great beach resort and you're going to spend some time in the cities as well, you really do still want to work with a travel advisor 
or tour company where you're probably offering them a flat fee to create that itinerary and then to to define some custom experiences that you can do once you're there just to remove some of that planning burden. Yeah, that's smart. There are many qualified people capable of telling you what to do in Thailand so that you don't have to stress over it. I, I think in like kind of like a fee-only planner, right? Because I, I think a, a lot of uh, the way a lot of Disney stuff works is right. Oh, you know, Disney pays us, and, and you, so you don't have to pay us. But if I'm in some place that isn't kind of focused on that type of system, I, I, I you're saying that there are. Um, they'll plan itineraries as opposed to being commissioned by resorts. And then they do some uh, courtesy itinerary planning on top of there. There are people who will who will just plan an itinerary for you. And that might not necessarily be a Adventures by Disney or a, a, a group tour. It could be just a series of recommended things to do in a given destination. Absolutely. So there are there are terms for them, but there are uh, within the travel industry they're called on sites. So, for example, there would be a a tour specialist that covers Thailand, Vietnam. Since we're talking about Thailand as an example, Thailand, Vietnam, Singapore, or maybe it's even just local to Thailand, where they will create a full on-the-ground itinerary, complete with experiences, meals, and transportation, if you've already provided those. Of course, they prefer that they book the hotels and include that in with their package, but they would still work with you if it wasn't that. Let's let's pivot a little bit. That's fantastic. I, I love all that advice about uh, trip planning and, and things and how, how to blend that in with uh, Points and Miles lifestyle. Let's talk Disney a little bit. Back to a little comfort food here with Disney. I'm assuming Disney is your number one destination for readers or or is it? I would say before the pandemic, it was just because you can't really compete with the volume of travelers who actually go to Orlando. I would say now um, more families are looking for just general warm weather experiences. So I'm I'm booking all of Florida, which is great. I I love Florida. I, I absolutely love Florida more than some of my family understand why. So I'm very happy to just hop, constantly go and try all the hotels in Florida. And we're getting ready to do that, which I'm super excited by. Uh, so what are some places in Florida besides Orlando and Disney and uh, theme parks that people that are hot right now? What do you where are you seeing interest? Well, there are people who are either the Gulf side or the Atlantic side in terms of beaches. So people are either Palm Beach, Miami. There's that crowd. There's also the Naples crowd. Then there are the um, the, the crowd along 30A, um, which is definitely going to be outside the scope of the points and miles people. But 30A has really you know developed over the last 10 years, and that's up in the panhandle. So the airport's Panama City. And then the towns are Rosemary Beach, Destin, those others. So I've hit all of the main resorts in Florida that I've wanted to visit. There are a few more in Miami I would love to try, but uh, we're going to be living in my in-laws house soon for a little while. And I'm eager to hit some of the hidden gems because there are a lot of smaller boutique hotels in Florida that I haven't visited yet that I know have more of a a secret, you know, following where the people who go there every year don't want to really talk about it. Ah, interesting. So uh, do you think that there's more interest in Florida overall and less of the, the conventional theme parks and cruises that I associate with Florida because of the pandemic? People, are, they're looking to avoid crowds. Is, is that the trend? 
Well, not only that, everyone who would go to the Caribbean or Mexico are going to Florida because they're Uh looking for guaranteed good weather and they're looking for something domestic. So the Florida Keys is booming as well. Hmm. And what's interesting from an industry standpoint is imagine how different the Key West landscape is right now without any cruise ships. Yeah, yeah, true, true. Less uh, of a dump of, uh, you know, a few thousand people there every day. Right, right. So the Florida Keys are very popular as well. Okay. So well, what are some of your some gems there? Where, where, where might I look? I, I know I go down to Naples a lot. Um, probably, I guess they're more of a Gulf side kind of guy for me. What are, what are two or three places that jump out to you, hotels or destinations? Palm Beach is sort of exploding right now with a lot of new properties. And Singer Island is the little, I- it's not little, it's the island immediately north of Palm Beach Island. They have a new luxury wellness resort uh, that I'm interested in checking out. A little further up that coast, uh, there are some other boutique properties. There's one brand that I actually really like, and it's not five star. It's four, it's four star. But the, uh, this is the Opal Resorts collection. Are you familiar with them? No, I've not heard of it. So if you go to their website, they have a few in New England as well. But they have some really great solid four-star independently, you know, independent resorts throughout the Gulf, the Keys, and the Atlantic side that are always very well-priced. And many of the rooms are very generous, like a lot of suites and many with kitchens. So they're a great uh, first stop, I think, in terms of pandemic shopping right now. All right. Um, I was thinking as you were talking about that, uh, you know, I, I, I could appreciate like having a kitchen now is is even more valuable because maybe you're still doing a lot of takeout on vacation. It'd be nice to have a, a, a proper dining room to eat and prepare more meals. That's more of a, an attractive thing than it was before where maybe you wanted to have, uh, you know, maybe like an all-inclusive kind of situation where you'd have a lot of buffets and things like that. So maybe that's one trend that's going on there. Uh, any other places that you uh, that come to mind in terms of uh, areas to, for people to check out that maybe were normally, they're, they're boxed out of the Caribbean, the cruise or the theme park vacation they might be uh, otherwise prone to? I would say 30A. I would say that uh, there's a huge portion of the United States that have been traveling to that area for a long time, if you're mm-hmm. from more of the central and southern states. But it's just not very popular if you live in New York or Boston or Washington. It's actually quite far to get to by driving because you have to go very west in the mm-hmm. panhandle. So it's sort of off our radar. But if you look to see what these developments are with private homes and pools, part of these beautiful communities, it it really is surprising what's available there. Well, I mentioned all-inclusives, and I don't know if it's the right time to do them. And I've often wondered, as we were doing a cruise, whether there are some luxury all-inclusives in the United States. Like if somebody liked that and they're not comfortable going to Mexico or the Caribbean, are, do you have some picks for those, whether they're in Florida or wherever they might be? I know I've, I've seen that question come up on your your excellent Facebook group. You had a lot of really good, uh, I think, editorialized questions there that I, I keep seeing people asking similar questions and good threads. Any all-inclusives you'd recommend? I have an article actually covering a lot of the all-inclusives in the U.S. for families and certain properties that stick out. Um, I believe Blackberry Farm, which is very high end, has an all-inclusive opportunity. So there are a few smaller high-end Relais Chateau properties. Um, but you know, the United States is really not of the dude ranches. So there are mm-hmm. dude ranches that have an all-inclusive. But I think even in that article, I, I felt like the opportunities. There's a there's a club med in Florida that is you know of mixed reviews and not intended to be a luxury experience. 
I don't know about you, Bob, but I go to the club level at Ritz Carlton sometimes, and I don't have room to order separate meals after yeah. we we definitely help ourselves to the pre-pandemic buffets there. All right. I'm not going to let you get out of here. We're talking a little bit about Disney, though. We touched on the Four Seasons and uh, uh, the, the classic question that comes up about Disney Hotel proper. It, let, let, me, let me just put you on the spot here on the hot seat. If you did have to stay at a Walt Disney World proper hotel, which one would it be and why? Do I have a budget? No, any, no problem. Oh, well, the Wilderness Cabins at the oh, Wilderness yeah. Lodge are amazing. They I saw really your are. post there. I was so te- I've been tempted to book that, but uh, two thousand bucks a night. Okay, it would be a lot of space and a lot of privacy. It, it, a definite splurge. You would put those over the Polynesian bungalows. I take it. I've I toured the Polynesian bungalows, and there there's no comparison. The Polynesian bungalows after you stay at the Wilderness Lodge feel like they have five foot ceilings, huh. and the Wilderness Lodge has this beautiful A frame. And the way to the way you mentioned the the price tag, but think of it this way: Let's say you are doing a multi-generational or group travel to Disney, if uh, the grandparents or the parents book the cabin and then they still have a second bedroom and every single piece of furniture in that beautiful living room is a pull-out sofa or an individual sleeper sofa, but you can put the rest of the family in one of the villas inside the main building, but then you have this gorgeous open floor plan kitchen and living area, private hot tub and screened-in porch that the whole group can use. So that's a way to think of taking advantage of that space and um, making the luxury, um, you know, uh, spread it out a little bit among a family group. I like that. That that post is excellent. I'll, I'll have to go back and retrieve links to all these things that you're talking about because that uh, a lot of your, your photo- photography on your site is gorgeous. And uh, that is a classic Thank example you. of it. Yeah, really good. Um, favorite Disney restaurant, one restaurant. And, and it can't be Victorian Albert. I don't know if you've been there or not, but a little more, a little more down to earth, but still luxurious and one you have really enjoyed. And I, just one that you've enjoyed with your family, I would say. Wine Bar George. Oh, gosh, I've never been there. I've met... It's so I have, good. I have met George over the years. Uh, he, of course, used to be the sommelier at Capitol Grill and Seasons 52. When they opened the one in Chestnut Hill here, I was able to have uh, dinner there with him. Fantastic guy, and I would love to check that out. That is a that, that is a surprising pick, but uh, uh, an excellent one, I would say. I, I, what, what did you like about it? So it's, um, it's a great restaurant experience that feels different than other Disney restaurants. They have a variety of appetizers that were all my daughter and I ordered. My daughter and I were there by ourselves the first time I went. So we actually just ordered all of the appetizers. The entrees are limited and they're served family style and they focus on a chicken, a fish or a beef entree. So we ordered um, everything from this grilled Caesar salad these very high-end macaroni and cheese fritters, you know, that would please the kids. We ordered a variety of things and you have the opportunity and flexibility of ordering one ounce of wine. You could say, I would like for you to customize accompaniments. I would like three different ounces to go with everything on the table and they would do it. Oh, that sounds so good. I'd love to get down there. Uh, Wine Bar George at Disney Springs. You don't need a theme park ticket to get in there. So something to do, even if you're in the area or on an off park day, it's a fantastic one. The other one we really like at Disney Springs, I'll just mention is Frontera Cocina, which is the Rick Bayless restaurant. Although um, I was a huge fan of Frontera Grill in Chicago and the higher end Tapa La Bampo in Chicago when they were Mm -hmm. open. Mm -hmm. But Frontera Cocina, in my opinion, our family can have an excellent meal and get out of there for less than $100, which is not common at Disney. So that's the place that in every trip, we always go there. And the other 
the best lunch in all of the Disney area is the poolside restaurant at the Four Seasons, PB&G. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, I'm familiar with all, a lot of those. I have not been to the, uh, I've been to Rick Bayless's restaurants in Chicago, but not the one at Disney Springs. So fantastic recommendations across the board there. One more Disney question. Um, uh, Disney parks, cruises, activity that you're interested in exploring. You know, they got the Adventures by Disney. They've got uh, uh, all kinds of, of, you know, things out there that maybe you haven't experienced. You know, with COVID coming back, a lot of people are talking about bucket list travel. They're going to do that thing they always want to do. Is there anything out there in the Disney universe that you're interested in that you haven't enjoyed yet? Well, if if you knew me better, you know that I'm a huge Star Wars nerd. Mm. So you would know that we are waiting for the Star Wars resort. I, I heard they were going to put that the kibosh on that, but it seems to be going forward, actually, from some you know spy shots and things like that. That looks next level. To be honest, it's going to be very expensive. So you could look at Deluxe Recess for a very honest article if we just wasted a bunch of money or if it was magical and how. So I am I'm eager to see it. Uh, and hopefully I don't feel uh, that I wasted some money doing something like this because I'm hoping that they they really do a transportive experience that's fun and that isn't gimmicky. Well, we were out at uh, Disneyland the weekend that Rise of the Resistance opened, and that gave me a feel for what a immersive Disney experience could be, especially related to Star Wars. And that was just incredible, uh, you know, uh, technical glitches aside, getting the ride up and running and all kind of stuff like that. But you could see where they're going with this. And if, if for people who aren't familiar, please describe what the hotel is going to be and, uh, you know, what the price point is going to be that you anticipate. Well, they're, it's it's actually kind of breaking into a new chapter in hospitality because the de- experience design has been the buzzword and people looking for experiential travel. So that really means what are you what are you actually doing? You're not just like sleeping and eating and lounging by the pool, but what are you doing? And they will really try and create this idea that you're going to sleep on a spaceship, I think, because there is a shuttle bus that guests enter at some point of this process where the windows are all blocked out and there are screens that make you feel like you're traveling in space. And then you check into this resort and you're on a 48-hour guest cycle. So there's something similar. Disney's obviously mastered that type of travel with their very successful cruise line. So you're on a kind of a a sequential 48-hour cycle you will go through trainings. There will be costumes. The rooms really do look like rooms in space where just as the Disney cruise ships have those magic porthole windows that show the sea with a few animated characters, they've used that technology to show planets in space and Alderaan in the distance or Hoth. You know, it's it's going to be very interesting. Oh, it looks amazing. Uh, what's the anticipated opening date? I don't know about that, actually, in terms prior to the pandemic, it was intended to be 2022, but that schedule may have changed. Yeah. And and what were you hearing on pricing for a family of four for that 48-hour experience? I think it's about $2,000 a person. A person. So uh, for the whole thing, so $8,000 for two nights, so $4,000 for a a night? Uh, So you're looking, so a family of four is going to be paying between eight and $10,000 to do this 48-hour cycle. All right. So if I can't get used to the the price of the cabins at Wilderness Lodge, I, I might not be up for a four. But it does sound like you're getting a lot of entertainment, a lot of an experience for this. And uh, I'm sure there's going to be a waiting list for it, given how many Star Wars fans are and how, like you say, how groundbreaking it is. 
Right. All right. Uh, one more thing here before we go. Um, the Points of Miles crowd seems to be a lot more men than women. But it's the opposite in the family travel space, or at least that's my perception of it. I look at your Facebook group, mostly women. I look at the contributors to your site. Well, I'm the, one of the few guys there, right? So what's going on there? What, what are your thoughts on this? I think that we have different places where we like to put our energy and our details. And if if you knew, I know um, we both have families and our children are older and they're they're past the stroller age now. But if someone said, here's this great trip we're taking in Paris, and someone offered you the choice to get there using some math and your analytical skills, or someone said, I want you to figure out what every person is going to need for those 10 days, I think there's just like a natural division of labor that mothers traditionally have that responsibility of taking care of the people. But what's interesting, and I didn't know this, is that once I became an advisor, the majority of my clients are the fathers. And my husband has no idea where we're going ever. He literally, he can pack a car and then he's like, where are we going? What are we doing? (laughs) And he has no feedback, even if I beg him for feedback. And so it's very, you know, if I just focus on my own marriage, I do all of our planning. But it's so much fun to work with the fathers of the family because I do think that there is a different way that... um, that the dads I talk to say, this is the goal that I want. This is what I want. I don't really care about the details to make it happen. And it's very different than the way I think about it. And this is why I like the planning. I think of every single little step that has to happen in order to get to that detail. So I think that there's just a little bit of a stereotype of where people enjoy or are required to put their energy to make the trip happen. Yeah, that's so interesting. And and you know, you're right, right. My wife is always pointing out that uh, you know she she the thing that she likes least about travel is the packing. Yes. <laughs> I mean, the the night before leaving, it's all the stuff. And I went on a father son trip with my son down to uh, Disney for the weekend. You know, leave Friday, come back Monday morning before school. And she's like, you know, have you packed? I was like, what do you mean pack? You just throw some clothes in. You know, she's like, oh my goodness, this buffoon. He doesn't know at all what goes into a trip. So she of course helped out and things like that. But then mapping that back, you know, like you were just describing there, uh, you know, with with trip to Paris. Not only what does it take everybody to get there, but what do you want that trip to feel like? What what memories do you want? to take from that. I absolutely know how many points and miles it takes to get to Paris and business class and all that kind of stuff. But I have, uh, I don't think of it that way. And I don't know if that's just a, a, a stereotype that happens to be true, that more guys are focused on the math behind the experience. And to, to our detriment, we're not thinking about what the overall result is going to be to the experience. And I know my wife is way better at that than I am. So maybe that just naturally cascades into these two different kind of camps that we're talking about, points and miles versus uh, the people that are roughly in your, uh, you know, people who are in your Facebook group and, and your clients. You know, as, as you say that, I didn't, th- I'm just now realizing this, but I think that there's actually a real advantage when you have more than one person planning a trip who's bringing different sets of skills. Think of what the possibility is. And so I think that that is how someone could figure out how to get there. But then what do you do? That's really someone else's strength. And so um, sharing the travel planning with other people has its perks. Absolutely. And not just the husband, wife, but the the kids as well, I I think, uh, as they've gotten older. Have you experienced that a little bit, you know, the uh, having your your kids? I'm sure they're expressing input at this point and preferences on what you do and things like that. But, you know, tasking your daughter with, uh, hey, well, you want to go here? Uh, Why don't you do a little homework on it or something like that? 
I gave my daughter a challenge a few years ago. She's 15 now, but prior to the pandemic, maybe two years ago, I said, I'll do a road trip with you. Uh, where do you, you know, that you plan? And she was interested in that idea. And then I think that she it didn't happen. And that's actually a statement of my parenting that I need to mention that to her again and encourage her and make her feel like she can do something and that there's no right or wrong. But that actually speaks to the travel. I I think I have a different approach to travel because I think that the key of travel and what I've learned when I started hanging out with other travel writers and travel hackers is that it's really easy to get sucked into checking things off a list. How many states have you been to? How many countries have you been to? Right? It's so easy to go there. And I think that a lot of travel enthusiasts put that as a priority. But what I'm always, what I'm actually writing about in Lux Recess, if you've been reading between the lines too, is that we really are investing our time and money and family experiences in creating memories that are by science, those memories that are going to be most remembered by our children. And so creating and designing family vacations that are strengthening connection is so critical. And I think that I, my husband and I both work and I will not pretend that I am a great parent seven days a week. I am distracted. I have work to do. I'm grumpy that I have to do household chores, all of those things. But I trained myself in the volume of travel we do with Lux Recess. Once we were at a destination and I was not working, it was how can I challenge myself to be as present as possible with my kids in a way that I couldn't sustain in our daily life at home? Mm-hmm. Because life's crazy. And so I, I I, just always encourage people to to make their travel about that and go to the place and design the experience where you can give your kids what they really want, which is all of your attention. Oh, I love that. I love that. Robin, that is a, a great point to stop on. Uh, we could talk for hours. I, I'm sure we could. Uh, but let's, let's uh, finish up with letting listeners know where they can find you. Sure. LuxRecess.com. Lux is spelled with an E. So it's L-U-X-E and recess like school, R-E-C-E-S-S.com. And what else are you active on? Uh, Which other social platforms? Facebook is where I spend most of my time. I have an Instagram channel, but if you reach out to me, I'll see it about, I don't know, three weeks later. So I'm not really on Instagram very often. Did you want to mention your uh, podcast as well or not necessarily? Sure, I'd be happy to. After the pandemic hit, just before well, just before the pandemic hit, I expanded Lux Recess to start offering parenting retreats, and the pandemic obviously removed that. So, my sister-in-law coincidentally happens to be one of the country's leading anxiety experts for families, and she provided workshops at our retreats. So now we have a podcast and. We celebrated 100,000 downloads on Christmas after launching in April, and uh, she's phenomenal. And I have to say that the pandemic and getting through it was a very different experience for me simply because I was able to benefit from talking to her every week and learning how to keep a family's mental health going well this past year because it was insane. That is a fantastic resource, an interesting way. Did you foresee a Lux Recess podcast at some point in the future from your experience with the Anxiety Podcast? If I had more time in the day, I would probably do one because, again, what I, what my goal would be to 
be that best friend whispering in your ear as you're going through the Lux Recess articles, where to stay and how to choose a hotel and a destination. But right now, I'm limiting my podcast to this one with my sister-in-law, which is called Fluster Clucks with an X. I'm glad you said that, not me. It can be a little bit of an embarrassing tongue twister. So very creative. And Robin, it was so, so great to catch up with you. I hope you and yours are doing well. And I look forward to much travel in the future year. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for joining us this week. For a more in-depth discussion about points and miles, visit us at patreon.com slash milonomics. There you'll get a special link for additional content you can listen to right in your mobile podcast app or on your computer, where we speak more freely about topics like these. 